All right, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I think the newcomer class will be wrapping up here shortly, so we'll probably get a wave of people coming in, so smile out and be nice. They didn't sleep in. They were just doing class in the back. Ephesians chapter 2 is our text for today. We'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 10. The New King James Version is what I'll be reading out of, and it says, And he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's go to prayer one more time. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that it is still relevant to us today. These words that were written to the church in Ephesus many years ago still have truth for us today. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, and the truth we get to learn about him today. Lord, I would ask just in this short time that you would turn our hearts to you, keep us free of distractions and things that would turn us away from your word. Help us to see Jesus in this passage today, because we ask it in his name. Amen. So Dennis asked me to speak a couple weeks ago on Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 10, and um, the The passage here has a lot of of great things to say. If we remember, Ephesians is a book of the Bible that was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And Paul's written to the churches in Corinthians um, already, talking about um, the gospel and some other things. And then we come to this epistle, and we're going to talk about some truths today. And and there's something today that's going to be applicable and beneficial for everyone here. And before we hop into the text, I want to make a distinction that I think will be very helpful for us today. I want to talk about the difference between a position and a practice. And you might have thought of these terms before, or maybe you've read some books on theology, or maybe you've never thought of this before. So we're going to talk about it like maybe we've never thought of it before. Our position is our eternal standing before God. That's our position. So there's really only two positions. Uh, We just read it. We'll study it again. You're either standing before God as a new creation, as a son of God, as a believer, a Christian today, or you're standing before God and you're lost today. You're headed towards hell. Those are the only two positions you can be in. And and practice, or, or some people say how we practically live, this is how we walk and how we talk and how we live day by day. And Paul's writing here to the Ephesians, and he's talking about these truths, positional truths and practical truths, and it's important to understand the difference between the two. There's been a lot of, um, I think, misunderstanding sometimes when we don't understand how these things work. And to illustrate, I'd like to share two quick stories, um, try to keep them top of mind. We'll refer back to them many times. Um, The first 
is an illustration based on adoption. So I know um, a young man who, who was adopted. He came from a very rough part of the world. Um, day by day, he was just struggling to live. Um, he would have to sometimes fight or steal to get food. His position was very hopeless. Um, he maybe wasn't going to, to die that day, but maybe the next day. And he was in a position that wasn't good at all. And his practical walk, the way he lived every day, wasn't that good either. I mean, he had to steal. He had to fight. He had to do things that he, he wasn't proud of, but just to survive. And there was a family that loved him. They saw his um, disabilities. They saw the things that were going on. And they said, we love this person. And they adopted him. His position changed. He went from being someone who was struggling just to get by day by day, and he switched to someone who now has a new name, has new rights, has a new family who loves him. His position changed, and, and after some time, his practice actually changed too. The way he lived as he walked through life changed, but it wasn't the change in his life that caused the parents to adopt him. It wasn't that they said, hey, this, this kid, there's something special. He's done a lot of really good things. We, we'd like to change his position. No, they just loved him. And they took him from one position and brought him to a place of love and of hope. Keep that illustration in mind. We're going to return to it many times. The second I want to share with you is another true story. I love to share this story when we go and, and give the gospel to people. There was a man in, I believe it was the 1800s, he was on a whaling ship. So they would take harpoons and they would go and try to kill fish and uh, whales. And then they would sell, sell what they had caught. And this man, um, his position... And he would tell you this, his position before God was hopeless. He would say, I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't believe in a God. And if there is a God, I hate him. And this man lived a very wicked life. He was uh, very often drunk and, and not in control of himself and lived a very rough life. And, and they were out on the waters one day and the waves were, were crashing. It was starting to be a pretty choppy night. And he was um, a little extra inebriated that night. And he fell off the boat and he started to sink sinking down into the ocean into despair. His, his fellow crew saw him and they realized he was going to die if they didn't take radical action. So they, they took one of their harpoons. It was kind of in a, in a, in a um, way that they could, could throw it down at him and, and they hoped that they could hit him and maybe drag him back up. And if that harpoon would have hit him in the chest, it would have killed him. If it would have hit him in the head, it would have killed him. And if it would have missed him, he just would have sank to his death. But they threw that harpoon down and by God's grace, it hit him in the leg. And they snagged him and they pulled him back up onto the boat. And his position physically changed very quickly. He was in a position of going to die at the bottom of the seafloor. Now he'd been given new life. And God got a hold of this man. And he went on to tell many about the Lord Jesus. He repented of his sins. He turned to the Lord Jesus. And his practice was radically changed. People hardly recognized the way he lived. But take note again today, friend, that it wasn't that his practice changed and then his position changed. It wasn't that he did enough good things that God saw fit to save him from drowning. It was an act of God that saved his life. And I want you to have these two ideas top of mind today, practice and position, because if you're here as a believer today, there are some practical truths that should be impacting your life. How you walk, how you live, because of your changed position is very important to God. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you don't know the Lord Jesus in a real personal way, you have an opportunity today to have your position before God change. 
Let's look at our text here. There's, there's going to be three thoughts that were shared with the church in Ephesians. I'm just going to give you the whole outline here up front. You can see it's not very proportionate. Um, we're going to spend the most of our time talking about this reminder. So this church in Ephesians, they already knew the gospel. They had known all these things. But Paul is seeing fit here in chapter 2 to remind them about something. We'll see in verse 10 a promise from God. And at the end, we'll, we'll look at a warning But let's begin by looking at the reminder that Paul is giving them. The reminder that Paul wants to give them is really three parts. He's talking to Christians here. He says, Christian, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Remember where you are right now. And let's take a moment to think how you got here. And maybe you've heard these verses before. I remember memorizing these verses as a young child and they didn't mean much to me at the time. But I want you to listen to these verses maybe like it's your first time today hearing them. Listen to how Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, You he made alive who were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. I think we know what a sin is, right? A sin is something that separates us from God falling short. But that word trespass that Paul uses actually goes a step further and means you willfully chose to break a law. You chose to do it yourself. And Paul's writing to them as Gentiles, so they weren't Jews. But he says, you, listen, Gentiles, you were dead in your sins in which you once walked. And then he goes on and says that they followed the prince of the power of the air. That would be the devil or Satan. They were living in disobedience. And then verse 3, he says, And among whom also we all, talking about Jews now, we also once conducted ourselves that way as well. Do you notice in verse 3 how it says all? I think 35, 36 times in Ephesians the word all is used. This is an important thing to understand today. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul is reminding them of where they once were. There's no Christian in Ephesus, no Christian at Bethany today who can say, I was never in sin. We can't say, well, I was born a Christian. You know, I, I, just, I just was born in this position of being right before God. You also can't come today and say, you know, before God, I, I maybe was born kind of bad, but over time I kind of worked myself into a good position with God. No, the position you have in Christ you're born in, Paul writes here, you're dead in your sins. And there needs to be a moment in time where that position changes. Paul writes here that all are in sin. Because of time, we won't go into exactly all the sins, but it talks about lusts of the flesh, desires of the flesh, following after the devil. We know in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says the wages or the payment for sin is death. If we have all sinned, we all deserve death. It's like you were born like that man who was drowning. You were born into that position, sinking down in a position that's hopeless. Look at verse 4. Paul is reminded where we came from, and then he tells us where we are now. Verse 4 is beautiful. It starts off, it says, but God. Did you guys see that? But God. You should be very thankful today, Christian. It doesn't say, but Gabe, but Caleb, but Dave. It says, but God. Willie McDonald writes, The words, but God, form one of the most significant 
eloquent and inspiring transitions in all of literature. They indicate that a stupendous change has taken place. It's a change from the doom and the despair of the valley of death to the unspeakable delights of God. The author of this change is God himself. No one else could have done what he did, and no one else would have done what he did. But God. It says here, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. We see some terms here. If you're taking notes, it's important to define these terms. Mercy. What does mercy mean? Mercy means not receiving what we deserve. I was um, 16 in 2014. It was May, um, springtime, and I was going to a friend's graduation party. I think I was a sophomore in high school. I'd had my license for about six months. Some of your eyes, I can tell you already know where this is going. Um, I was driving down 7th Avenue in Marion, kind of the main street. I was heading out of town out of, near Springville to go to a friend's graduation party. I was driving our, our beautiful family vehicle. It was a, our prized possession. It was, I think, like a 1982 Toyota Corolla, 284,000 miles. Um, it was a beater with a heater, and we loved it. And I was driving down 7th Avenue, doing what most 16-year-olds are doing, texting and driving. Um, would not recommend. Um, it's not wise. And I was, I was driving, and there was a car in front of me, and that car, we're both kind of just cruising down 7th Ave, all things are good, and I see the light ahead is green, and then it switches to yellow. But we're, we're pretty close to the intersection, I thought, for sure we're going through this. Put my head down for a second, I look up, and this car has stood up on their brakes. They're, they're stopping, they're not about to enter a yellow, which is dangerous. I mean, if you guys see a yellow, you need to get through there, all right? I mean, it's, it's dangerous. <laughs> And, and this, this car brakes, and I stand up on my brakes for all they're worth. I mean, they're squealing, but smack right into the back of them. And uh, that was the last day that Toyota Corolla saw the streets. The front hood popped up, the uh, radiator, everything got messed up. And, and thankfully, they were driving an SUV. It just kind of broke up their back bumper. It was a, I think it was a brand new uh, Suburban and I knew it wasn't good. We pulled off to the side and we exchanged information. She asked um, what school district I was in. And I said, I'm in the Marion School District. She said, well, it's a good thing you're not in the Linmar District. I said, well, why is that? Said, I'm the superintendent of Linmar. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh boy. I said, this isn't good. What did I deserve? Um, I, had, I had been carelessly driving. I deserved to pay for a new bumper for that lady. Or I deserved for my insurance company to pay and then um, as a 16-year-old, that's not good. Your premiums will go up. You may lose your license. Uh, lots of bad things can happen. And a few, few months later, um, I'd been kind of, she was going to get estimates and get everything figured out. We exchanged information. I received a card in the mail. Card in the mail, it, it had my name on it. This isn't the actual card. Just getting your attention. <laughs> I received a card in the mail, and it said, Hey, Gabe. Don't worry about our little run-in the other day. I'll take care of everything. That was mercy. What I deserved was to, to pay for what I had done. Remember we said earlier, all have sinned and fall short in the glory of God. The payment or the wages for your sin is death. That man on the boat deserved to sink down to his sin. But instead of getting what we deserved, 
It says here we're given mercy. Why are we given mercy? The text tells us we're given mercy because of the love with which he loved us. In his great love, he loved us. It's another way of saying that. The love that God has here is very simple for us to understand. It's a love that's not willing to leave us in our current position. I'm going to say that again. The love here is a love that's not willing to leave us in our current position. Just as all have sinned, so this love has been extended to all. Not all will accept it. Not all will, will choose to accept God's gift, but the love has been extended to all. Um, we see in verses 16 and 17, I'm going to dig a little bit into someone else's section in a few weeks, but it says, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near, referring to Jews and Gentiles. We'll look at Titus a little later today. It says, the grace of God has appeared to all men. God loved us so much that he did not want to leave us in our current position where we deserve to be. It said he did this while we were still dead in trespasses. This is important to understand. While we were dead, God loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some, some think that we have to work our way to a place where God can love us, and, and that's impossible to do. Friend, it's impossible to work yourself into a way where God would love you. You can't do it. You can't pay it back. Why is that? Well, think about my car accident. Hitting a Suburban's not the end of the world, but what if I had hit a, a Lamborghini? What if the bill, instead of maybe being five, ten thousand dollars was hundreds of thousands? My sin would have been the same, but what I had sinned against, what I had damaged, that makes a big difference. And the sin that we have committed is a sin against God. God is worth far more than any car. God is worth more than any of us. And because we have sinned against him, our position is hopeless. But he says, I loved you while you were in that position. But there needed to be a switch in our position. We'll talk about how that happens in a moment. But we see here Paul and his reminders reminded where you came from in your sins. And then he tells us in verses 4 through 7 where we are now. Talking to believers here, remember, he's talking to those who are saved, who are born again and he says, where are you right now? I'll ask you this question. Where are you currently? What is your position before God? How does God talk about you? Have you ever stopped and thought how God talks about you? You know, when you think about that example of adoption, how do we talk about someone who's been adopted? I have some siblings that have been adopted. I don't say, my, my friend who will be my sister someday. I say my sister she has been adopted. It's in the past tense. It's done. She's been adopted. She doesn't have to get adopted again. She doesn't have to get adopted every day. We don't have to keep adopting her. It's done. She can't be any more part of our family than she is right now. It's impossible. It's done. So listen to the tense of how, how Paul writes here. He's writing about this, this tense of, of this past tense of how you once were and then what happened to you. Throughout scripture, we see the Psalms 2-7 says, I will be your father, and today you will be my son. John 1-12 says, those who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. God says, if you're born again, what you have now is as much a child of God as you can ever be. Listen, what he says here, he says, you were dead in your sin, past tense. 
You were dead in your trespasses in which you once walked, past tense. You once lived to gratify the flesh, past tense again. You were, by nature, a child of wrath. But then listen to this. We're still talking in the past tense, but it gets wonderful here. Christ has made us alive in Christ. It's done for those of us who are saved. He has made us alive in Christ. You have been saved by grace. Not one day you're going to be saved by grace. Not if you do enough to stay in this position, you'll be saved. You have been saved by grace. You have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Did you know positionally today, those of us who are believers, the Lord sees us as he sees the Lord Jesus? God, when he looks down, doesn't see us as that drowning man, but he sees us as a son. This is really cool here in verse 7. He says, he will show us more in the coming ages. So there is a future tense. There is wonderful things coming. He will show us more of his kindness. Verse 10 says that we are currently and in the future going to be God's workmanship. Right now we're his workmanship and we'll continue to be that. We'll continue to be sanctified. Do you see how this idea of practice and position is so important? How if you miss what God has done, where you are, you miss a lot. And Paul's reminding them, these are some wonderful promises. Believer, if this is true of you today, this is a wonderful thing. Paul Washer writes, because of what Christ did on the cross, you have been legally declared righteous and can be treated as righteous by God the Father. You will not ever be any more legally righteous than you are right now if you're a believer. It's a blessing to see that. We see it later on in Ephesians 2.13. We say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once have been brought, sorry, who are far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see that promise? Not that you're going to be brought near later on someday. After you die, if you've done enough, you have been brought near. Talks about the blood of Christ. What, what I want you to think of is someone who's in a courtroom. Someone who has done something very wrong. Maybe they've killed someone. And they're in that courtroom. And the judge says, man, you're, you're far off right now. You're on your way to, to separation. To jail. Something needs to be done. And if someone came into that courtroom and said, hey, I see him sitting up on that stand. I see that they're pointing at him and saying guilty. I'd like to switch places with that man. I want to go and take the punishment he deserves. And maybe the judge would look to the family over here and say, family, are you good with that? And they say, as long as justice is served, we don't care. Sure, pile it on on that guy. If he pays us back what we think we're owed and someone's rotten in jail, we'll be happy. And then the judge looks over and says, do you want to trade positions with this man? See, what caused our change in position before Jesus? It's the blood of Jesus. The last point that Paul makes is how did we get here? How did we get to a place where our position changed? And he tells us, he tells us in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We see here that there is grace that is given to the believer. And the believer receives that through faith. What is faith? Faith is believing in something we can't see. 
In the context that Paul's writing in here, faith is believing that the free gift of salvation is only accomplished through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that today? It also mentions here grace. This term is actually mentioned three times in our text today. When you think about the term grace, what do you think of? Remember, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. What is grace? Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve either. Remember, mercy, we're not getting the punishment we deserve. Grace is this idea of being given something that we don't deserve. Where do you think the first time in the Bible grace is mentioned? Does anyone have any ideas? You can just yell them out if you want. Noah, spot on. Turn in your Bibles, if you were, to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, very first book of the Bible. Genesis 6, there's wickedness going on in the world. We see all throughout Scripture this idea that all men have sinned. We don't have to convince ourselves of that. If we just read God's word, we can see it. But in verse 8, we see, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This word grace here means favor or unmerited favor. This word grace is used throughout the Bible. It actually mentions Noah again. You don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Noah. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of these things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark. So God showed Noah grace, and by faith, Noah believed God. There was a positional change in Noah's life, and the practice that followed was wonderful. You see, Noah is what we call a, a type or a pointer towards Jesus. Just as there was only one ark, only one way to be saved, so there's only one way to be made right with God, the Lord Jesus. Just as Noah was shown grace, so we as the believer need to be shown grace. Just as Noah believed in faith, so we also need to believe Matthew 24, it writes of Noah, it says, As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. It's referring to the end of all time. There was a book of the Bible written about the end of all time, Revelation. I think you'll like to see this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The very last book in the Bible, very last verse in the Bible. John closes his writings and he says, The grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do you see this grace mentioned in Genesis all the way to Revelation? Grace is not a new idea that we thought up would be something that would maybe be beneficial. It wasn't invented by the apostles. It wasn't invented by the prophets. Grace is something God has shown throughout all generations. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. What a blessing that is to receive what we don't deserve, the salvation that comes from God. If you understand grace, you'll understand our next point, a promise that we're given in verse 10. And you've got to understand grace to understand verse 10. Turn back in your Bibles to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his 
workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see good works is mentioned here in 10 and, and works are also mentioned in 9. Right? We see good works mentioned twice here. Christian, are we afraid of good works? Do good works cause us to tremble and say, ah, let's not talk about good works. It's a little uncomfortable. Absolutely not. Paul is writing in 9 and says your position, the change that happens in Christ when you're born again, when you're saved, has nothing to do with works. He says it's not of works, otherwise there'd be boasting. And I, I, I don't know this. I wonder if there was almost a little bit of um, maybe comedy as Paul was thinking this. Like, do you think someone could boast in their works, really? Like, do you actually think that? Think of the man who was out there on the boat harpooning whales. He fell off that boat drunken um, in, in anger towards God, sinking to his death. And that harpoon, that grace of God hit him in the leg. He used to tell people he walked with a limp the rest of his life. He would tell them, this leg, this bum leg is the grace of God that I lived. Imagine if that man came up here today, he's since passed away, but came up to Bethany Bible Chapel and he said, hello friend, I want you to know Sure is lucky I stuck my leg out. I'm really glad I made the right decision while I was thinking. As a matter of fact, I'm really thankful to myself for my life today. Where would I be without me? We'd say, you're a fool, man. You did nothing to be saved. God did everything. Think about the, the, the friend of mine who was adopted. Think about if he came to his parents on adoption day and said, it's a good thing you adopted me. Because tell you what, I got a lot to offer. And you could have picked some other people, but I know I have some disabilities and different things, but listen, I, I have the most to offer. And I know you picked me because of my performance. Some good works I've done. We'd say no. Don't minimize the gift of adoption that way. Don't minimize the love that the parents are showing to you. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has to do with love. And Paul is writing in 9 and he warns, and, and I would say it's a serious warning to not think there's any works involved in our salvation. Because if there was, there would be boasting. Remember he's just told us in the previous verses how we were sinful people? We'd be tempted to fall back into that place of saying, look at what I did. Look at how I did more than someone else. We'd start looking around our building here and saying, sure glad I'm not like that person. And God probably had to work a little extra hard for that person's salvation. Wow. Or we would go to a place of complete despair. We'd say, you know what? I can never do enough good works. I can't ever do this on my own. I can never be saved. God could never love someone like me. So Paul emphasizes in verse 9, no, it's not of works. It's by grace. But then once your position is changed, there's a wonderful promise. He says, now that it's changed, you are the workmanship of Christ created for good works, good works which God has laid out for you ahead of time. This promise is wonderful. It says that our practice, our practical walk can actually match our position in Christ when we're on this earth. Do you ever wake up in the morning and it doesn't feel like it's going to be a good day? You just say, you know, Nathan opened this morning, you know, it's February, it's cold, life is hard, I don't feel like it's going to be a good day. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and, and say, I don't really feel like a child of God today. I know Corinthians says I'm a new creation. It sure doesn't feel like it right now. I know I've been made alive in Christ, but it just doesn't feel that way. 
I know that I've been raised up in the heavenly places. It just doesn't feel like it. Our position in Christ has nothing to do with our feelings. And the way that we get to walk each day is not dependent on our feelings. It's not dependent on our performance. The wonderful thing about this verse, this promise, is that our practice can match our position because Christ is the handyman in this project. It's not you. He didn't pull you up out of the ocean and then give you a hammer and a chisel and say, start working out those things in your life and start working hard. It's still Christ. On this side of the positional change, it is still Christ. Look in your Bibles. Turn there, if you would, Titus chapter 2. Paul's writing again here, and, and it's, it's reiterating what was shared in Ephesians. Titus chapter 2 says, For by grace, we'll go in 11, Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Remember we said that all have the opportunity to be saved? The grace that appeared was the Lord Jesus. Verse 12 says, Teaching us then to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, so that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Do you see that pattern? Do you see how in Scripture, grace comes first and then good works in Christ? It's a wonderful thing. God does not desire you to still live like that old person. And I'm not teaching here that we can be perfect or this idea of sinless perfection that will never sin again. What Paul is saying here is the power of sin doesn't cripple us like it did in verses 1 and 2 and 3. He says, because God is our work, worker working on our lives, because the grace of God has appeared, we have a choice now. We can choose to walk in the good works which God has prepared for us. Because of that, we know that our practice can match our position. We can act the way that God wants us to because of what he has done. I thought of um, the Welsh revivals of 1904. There was thousands and thousands of people getting saved going to meetings and hearing the gospel and, and their lives were changed. And um, the, the good work started to flow naturally. There was, um, there was a factory that used a lot of horses. They had to, I don't know if it was what they were doing exactly. I was reading about it a little bit. But they had to get these horses to kind of go in circles. I don't know if they're grinding something up. And the horses were so used to being cursed at and kicked and screamed at that that was the only way they knew what to do. And after these people were saved, they said the factory was at a standstill for days because pretty much everyone stopped cursing and the horses didn't know what to do. Even the creation of God noticed there was a change in someone's position. They said something has changed. There's good works that are following this positional change. Believer, that's for us. We can walk in good works and it is noticeable by those around us. These works God has set out ahead of time for us to walk in them. What a blessing that that is. God has works for you to do as long as you're on this earth. If it's one more day, one more year, or another 20, 30, 40 years, God has works for you to do. Friend, it's almost too wonderful to think about. When you think about what you deserved, where, where you should be, 
dead in your trespasses and sins, headed towards an eternity in hell, that's what you deserved. And God said, no, I'm going to show mercy and I'm not going to give you that punishment. We didn't deserve that. And then he goes a step farther and he says, and I'm going to give you grace, a gift. It says in verse 8, it's the gift of God. I'm going to give you that. If God would have stopped right there, would he have been a good God? Yes. But he goes even further and says, I'm not just going to leave you there. I'm going to have good works prepared for you to walk in. Not only did he trade positions with us, he gave us a way practically to live for him each and every day. So what's the warning? We see this encouragement to walk in the good works which God has for us. What's the warning? Turn in your Bible to Revelation. I know we were just there, but turn now to chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10, we've seen 10 verses that Paul wrote. The letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. This is in modern day Turkey over in Europe. Paul wrote a letter to them inspired by the Spirit to give them teaching. And and in Revelation, we see another letter written to the church in Ephesus. We actually know more about this church than, than any other church in the New Testament. And listen to how Jesus talks to the church in Ephesus. Can you imagine if Jesus wrote a letter to the saints at Bethany? We came to read it. You probably wouldn't be asleep. You'd probably be, oh boy, what's he going to say? Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you can't bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You found them liars. You've persevered. You've had patience. You've labored for my name's sake. You've not become weary. Verse 4 says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. Or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's Jesus saying here to the church at Ephesus? Saying you've lost your love for the Lord. This, this book here, Revelation, was written just 30 years after the letter that was written to the Ephesians. So I don't know if it was another generation or maybe some of the same people reading this. Some of the people there had continued on in good works but had lost a love for Jesus. I wonder if they had thought, I need to continue on in these good works so that I can keep my salvation. So they weren't doing them out of love, doing them out of shame, out of guilt. See, in Revelation it says, if you continue on this way, your lampstand will be removed. What does this mean? You'll lose your salvation? You'll, You'll go to hell? I don't think so. Our position in Christ is secure. When you're adopted as a son or daughter of Christ, you can't be unadopted. You can't be any less of a son. But he's saying your ministry and the good works which I've given for you, you'll lose that blessing. If you lose your love for the Lord Jesus, your ability to be used by him will also be lost. And it's a serious thing to think about for us to not be worth anything in this life because we don't love the Lord. Where is this church today? Well, if you go over to Turkey right now, where this church is at, you could go to the town. It's 99.9% Muslim today. I don't know if there's even a church meeting in Ephesus today. So I don't know if it was this generation or the next generation or one after, but somewhere down the line, 
the love for the Lord did grow cold. Do you love the Lord Jesus this morning, believer? Has your love grown cold? We're just one generation away from from not having the gospel preached here at Bethany. We can't think, well, we had this great reminder from Paul, it's going to be fine, we're just whatever, we'll just, at least I'm saved, at least I have a good position in Christ. No, it's a serious thing to think about our love for Christ growing cold. So, where do we go from here? Application. In closing, I want to talk to both groups of people today. How can I be saved? If you're here today and your position before God is as one who's dead, you can be saved today by grace and through faith. It's the only way to be saved. Do you believe that that's the only way to be saved today? Do you believe it's the blood of Jesus? It's offered to you today. Here's the next question. How can I continue on as God's workmanship and not forget my first love? See, a lot of Christians think after this moment of salvation, I've just got to grit my teeth and just tough it out. I've got to do enough things as, as much as I can for as long as I can in hope of somehow pleasing God. The answer is the same for us today. How can you continue on? By grace and through faith. Let me prove it to you. Turn in your Bibles. This will be our last two passages. Colossians chapter 2, just a few pages over. Colossians 2 and verse 6, Paul's writing here and he says, As you, talking to Christians, therefore have received Christ Jesus. Another way of saying this is in the same way that you received Christ Jesus, in that same way, so walk in him, continue in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul is saying here in the exact same way that you were saved, you need to continue on that way. Turn one last passage, Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, you now think you can be made perfect by the flesh? No, we must continue on in the same way. Maybe today you're like that man who's drowning and you're on your way to death because you're dead in your sins. Look to Jesus today. Maybe you're a believer and your position in Christ is secure. You know it's secure, but you've taken your eyes off Christ. Your love has grown cold. You're not walking in the good works you know you should. Maybe you're saying today, my practice is not matching my position today. It doesn't reflect Jesus. The answer, friend, is not to work harder. It's to turn to Jesus. No, he's the workmanship. Continue on by grace and through faith. The only way to change your position this morning is by grace, and the only way to continue on is by grace. And you say, Gabe, you're overemphasizing. You've said it like 80 times now. Well, the Bible says it 170 times that we're saved by grace. We can't overstate it enough. I'm going to pray and invite uh, the worship team back up to lead us in one song. I know we're running a little short on time, so if you need to go, I understand. But if you're able to stay, let's stay for one more song and, and worship the Lord. Father, we thank you for the grace that appeared to all men. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who came, who loved us when we were still dead, loved us when we were still in a position that was, was hopeless. 
thank you for each one here today who has changed positions with, with the Lord Jesus, that he took the punishment they deserved and they can be made new. God, we would, we would ask if there's any who are not born again, who are not in a position that is, is forever secure, that, that they would make that decision today to believe in faith. I ask that we would continue on, Lord, continue on in our, in our faith to please you, that our love would not go cold. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.